Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Yes, yes, I know. Hold the rotten uh, fruit. I feel the same way as you. I overslept a little this morning and I kind of woke up and stumbled downstairs and I was thinking, oh, I can't wait to hear what uh, Rush has to say about all the stuff that uh, broke late on Friday about the Hunter Biden investigation and the Supreme Court declining to hear the Texas case and all the rest of it. I thought, I can't wait, can't wait for Rush to break it all down so I know what to think about the whole thing. And uh, then, of course, uh, I found out I was going to be sitting here myself at midday Eastern. Rush is feeling better than he did on Fridays. You know, he had to take the day off on Friday. He was uh, totally clobbered. He's feeling he's feeling better today, and the plan is for Rush to return tomorrow, and you will not want to miss that because uh, he will be at full strength and full strength Rush. Uh, you have to stand far back from the receiving apparatus. It is so strong. 1-800-282-2882 is the number to call if you would like to be on the show. Always love to hear from lefties. If you're feeling pleased about how things are going on your side, and, and there's no reason why you wouldn't, and you might have some more good news uh, on Georgia uh, come early January. If you're feeling pleased and you're a lefty, come on and give me a call. Give it your best shot. 1-800-282-2882. You will have the pleasure of Mr. Snurdly call screening. Uh, from the EIB Southern Command, we have Mike in New York, making sure that it is all technically competent, even if the content has gone to hell. And uh, we have a full week of uh, excellence in broadcasting planned for you, whatever happens. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, strangely uh, revealing indiscretions over the weekend. I don't mean Eric Swalwell and Fang Fang. We'll get into Fang Fang. Actually, I don't want to get too far into Fang Fang, because you never know how many other people have gotten into Fang Fang. But um, uh, we'll get into Eric Swalwell and that a bit later. Uh, the Attorney General, William Barr, says 
he is reported as saying, the Attorney General, just for those people who aren't mad enough at the Attorney General, the Attorney General William Barr says, Trump is a deposed king ranting. A deposed king ranting. To me, the interesting word there is deposed. And curious, curious choice of words. But that's Bill Barr. Trump is a deposed king ranting. There was a rally in Washington. I believe this was Saturday. The My Pillow guy, speaking of uh, deposing the king, the My Pillow guy says Fox News was in on the fix. Uh, he's he's the guy who's um, well for shows like Tucker that all the squeamish advertisers have abandoned. Um, basically, it's uh, the flippity whatever what is it called the flippity fish. And the my pillow guy, uh, who are accounting for uh, all Tucker's ads, but and the my pillow guy now says Fox News was in on the fix. As we speak, uh, the uh, as we speak, the electoral college is meeting. Uh, basically, the electors will be voting uh, up until seven p.m. Eastern, four p.m. Pacific. That's when the last state votes Hawaii. But uh, my state, New Hampshire, uh, is was one of the first. It votes at 10 a.m. and it has sent its slate of electors to Congress. Now, Stephen Miller, an uh, aide to the president, revealed this morning that the plan is for uh, Republicans to submit their own slate of electors, they will meet, they will vote, and uh, they will submit their alternative slates of electors to Congress in order, if you can follow all this, uh, that there will be uh, alternative sets of uh, electors for Congress to vote for if they so decide. Now, if you're thinking, what is all this rubbish? Well, it happens more often than you think. Uh, they did it last time, 2016. Ohio, a couple of Ohio Democrats did this, uh, submitted an alternative uh, vote to Congress uh, by electors. And it happened, of course, most consequentially in uh, the 1876 election, which was uh, Samuel Tilden versus Rutherford B. Hayes. And because of the electoral disputes about elections and uh, electoral fraud, this all goes back a ways. I've said on this show, there is a long history of this nonsense here. Uh, and uh, last, in 1876, there were threats of violence against Republican voters. Uh, and there was uh, overcounts in South Carolina in 1876. 101% of all eligible voters voted. Um, and you had a situation where the voter of Oregon, the uh, governor of Oregon, uh, Lafayette Grover, claimed that one of the GOP's electors was ineligible and he's put a Democrat elector in his place. And the two Republican electors dismissed his action and they each reported three votes for Hayes, while the Democrat elector reported uh, one vote for Tilden and two votes for Hayes. And the whole thing, anyway... That's what they're going to do this time. They're going to they're going to submit these alternative. Now they have had some good news this morning, and I know people like good news and like to find it where they can. But in Wisconsin, for example, uh, the Supreme Court 
has said that uh, this whole idea that you're uh, indefinitely confined by COVID is false and those people shouldn't have been entitled to it. This happened this morning. The Wisconsin Supreme Court said that election officials were wrong and that the ballots of those who claim to be indefinitely confined because of the COVID, uh, their ballots were illegitimate and could not be counted. They've ruled in favor of the Republican Party of Wisconsin. And again, uh, we're trapped. Well, uh, well, exactly. Mr. S- Mr. Sladley is saying, what does that mean? The, 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 fact, the, the fact of the matter is that in the reality of the world we live in, uh, the world has the world has pronounced Joe Biden the victor, and every day that went by after November the third, uh, it becomes more and more difficult as a practical matter to say no, 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 he wasn't. Now the Wisconsin Supreme Court has said that these these guys uh, their ballots should not count if they claimed that they uh, needed mail-in ballots because of the COVID. Uh, The court says a determination must be made in every case before tossing a ballot. This fall, roughly 215,000 voters in Wisconsin say they were indefinitely confined, a fourfold increase from 2016. And uh, the court said that uh, the government's interpretation of the indefinitely confined law was erroneous. Um, The presence of a communicable disease in the community, such as COVID-19, does not entitle all voters in Wisconsin to obtain an absentee ballot. Well, what do you do? That would have been a useful court decision up to about October 29th. Uh, In its final decision, the justices justices concluded that it's uh, up to each voter uh, to decide... um, if I don't even understand this, I'll look for more information here. I'm going to have to read the court opinion on this because I don't even get some of this stuff. But it's being reported as a victory for the Trump campaign that Wisconsin Supreme Court has said the election officials were wrong. You know something? It's very difficult. <laughs> it, it's very difficult staggering on with this thing. The The Supreme Court denied standing, denied the Texas case on the basis of standing. And standing is a th- what they call a threshold question as to whether you have the right to bring a case. You know, if, uh, if, if uh, Fred Smith gets fired for breach of contract, uh, Fred Smith's uh, nephew can't sue the company uh, for the breach of contract uh, because uh, he would have had a much ba- bigger Christmas present if his uncle hadn't lost his job. You've got to be, you've got to be directly injured in order to claim standing. And I think there's no doubt that when you look at this election, if it changes the result, if it means that the constitutionally mandated uh, balance, uh, the, the constitutionally mandated weight of your vote is diminished because. Uh, false and illegitimate votes in another state determine the election, then I think that is a case of original jurisdiction that the Supreme Court should have had. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Alito and Clarence Thomas were the only ones who were prepared to, to do that. Two out of nine judges. The other seven judges weren't interested. 
And you are you wonder why? Well, I think there's two reasons. In a way, the more respectable reason is that they're figuring the Republicans are going to lose the Georgia Senate runoff race, and then they will be punished. The Supreme Court will be punished by court packing uh, for agreeing to take this case. And I think the other one is even more basic. If you're someone like Amy Coney Barrett and you've got school-age kids and you live in the world we live in, you've you've got to be you've got to be placing a very large bet. And I and I don't say this lightly. I say this after 20 years of living with uh living with threats from jihadists and similar type lunatics and seeing my Friends uh, around the world forced into hiding. Those Danish cartoonists uh, who did the Mohammed cartoons in 2005 and had uh, goons uh, showing up at their children's schools, threatening their children. And what just used to be the province of lunatics like those jihadists is now the the province of people who support the Democrat Party. We just had a guy kicked off... The college he's been some sort of associate lecturer at for a a decade or whatever has just vaporized him, removed all mention of him from their website because he happened to write a piece saying he didn't think, quote, unquote, Dr. Jill Biden should be going around calling herself Dr. Jill Biden just for that. Uh, The college decided to disassociate himself. So I think the actual practical things here are the issue. That the people have very real fears of physical violence. The more respectable argument, the John Roberts type of argument, is that if you take this case, the Democrats will punish you with packing the court. But it is the most bait. There's no point to any of it. There's no point to courts. There's no point to law. There's no point to citizenship. There's no point to elections. If you hold elections and the results are dubious, and we and we get more and more of this stuff every hour of the day. You, you, this other story over the weekend that the, the these hackers hacked into the United States Commerce Department and the United States Treasury Department. You may have seen this report, and they use Solar Winds software. Uh, they got access to the Treasury Department and the Commerce Department using Solar Winds software, which just by The kind of strange coincidence that now goes on every minute of the day in America is the software that Dominion Voting Systems uses. It's all connected, folks. The whole (laughs) grand universal theory tying it all together, it all works. 1-800-282-2882. Rush is feeling better. He's planning on coming back tomorrow, but we will do our best to hold down the fort on the excellence in broadcasting Mark Stein in for Rush on the Excellence uh, in Broadcasting Network. Great to be with you. Oh, by the way, pay no attention to this if you're listening out there in the great wide world. This is just for Mike in New York. Mike, my screen clock has uh, gone down, so if you could uh, just reset that. It's all, everything's going to pieces here. I hate having to mention that on air, but it just uh, it just happened. Uh, I need Mike uh, to fix that in uh, in New York. Uh, okay, on that Wisconsin uh, story, here's the alternative view from the Associated Press. The Wisconsin Supreme Court on Monday has rejected President Trump's uh, lawsuit. And that's why I say it's, you always have to act, actually just read the written opinion because, in fact, they're doing uh, what they... what. Uh, 
they've done all the way through this thing is they've conceded that, yes, there are bad things going on that shouldn't have happened, but for various reasons, we can't do anything about it. Now, for example, in uh, Pennsylvania, where they said they couldn't do anything about it because of the doctrine of latches, that's where, uh, yeah, you've got a case, but you should have done something about it months ago. So, for example, they changed the law in 2019 on on voting uh, in Pennsylvania, and uh, therefore you shouldn't wait. You had plenty of time before the election to file a lawsuit about it, so you shouldn't wait until after you've quote-unquote lost the election. Now, likewise, the Wisconsin Supreme Court has done the same. It said that this law, uh, in fact, uh, this, this change in the law uh, is wrong, and it's not and it's not valid that the covid is not a valid reason to have a mail in ballot etc but even so you know the elections happened and they don't want to disenfranchise anybody now you think about it because this is what it, this is what it comes down to and this is why mass movements have to be mass or they're done for everybody is always waiting for somebody else to step in and be the hero You've got you're you're looking on the Supreme Court of the United States. I mean, again, I I use this line on television with Tucker a month back or whatever it was. A judge's republic is a con is a contradiction in terms, a contradiction in terms. And it and it is never more of a contradiction in terms than when you're looking for five judges uh, to uh, to nullify millions and millions of votes and say these votes were not appropriate and should not have been cast. It's very difficult to do that, and in part because judges are human, because judges are vulnerable, because judges don't want to take the heat. Anybody who's been in the lowest level court, anyone who's been in slow small claims court, Anyone who's been in, uh, had the misfortune to be divorced and wound up in family court. Anybody who's been in their little rinky-dink county court knows that judges are self-evidently third-rate for the most part. And so the idea that you expect five judges uh, to do the work of an army, you know, like uh, uh, Bill Barr says, Trump is a deposed king ranting. That is what Mr. Trump's attorney general thinks of the president he serves. Bill Barr has been uh, reported as saying Trump is like a deposed king ranting. And the thing that puts a deposed king back on his throne is a mass movement. And to this idea that these five judges would do it. And then you look at these judges. Clarence Thomas is a great uh, and gracious man, and and if, if you met him, you you know you you he radiates strength, strength of character. He couldn't have withstood what they did to him thirty years ago if he didn't have that strength of character. And Alito is an impressive figure too, uh, but uh, you know uh, others have different calculations, and they're actually scared at what will happen to them. You'll become the most hated person. Imagine if five... This is how the left reports it. Five people overturn 
the United States presidential election. And it doesn't have to be like that. We can get into all that a, a little later. It would be the easiest thing in the world to have like a runoff election in the contested states, blah, 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 blah. But the fact, even if they were to go down that road, uh, the pressure they would be uh, the pressure they would be under is uh, is enormous. Uh, so uh, this Wisconsin thing uh, that was reported by one outlet as a great victory for Trump is now being reported as a rejection for Trump. Uh, in a sense, they found on him on the they found for him on the issue that the election was held under an impro- on an improper basis, but. But they're not going to do anything about it. And that's the other thing. It's the remedy. They'll agree with you, but they won't give you any relief. Yeah, Rush is out today. He's hoping to be back tomorrow. A super spreader Santa has been blamed for an outbreak of the COVID at uh, at a care home, a residential care home, where... 61 residents have tested positive for COVID-19 after a visit from St. Nicholas. This was in Moll, Antwerp, in Belgium, my mother's country. Uh, St. Nicholas, as they call him there, St. Nicholas, uh, Santa Claus, as we say here in the United States. 61 residents tested positive for COVID-19 after being visited by a uh, Santa Claus who subsequently was found to have the COVID. And the mayor of Moll, Wim Kyers, uh, has apologized. He said the visit was made with the best intent, but it went wrong and it has been a very black day for the care home. So uh, Santa is now a COVID super spreader. In Germany, they're saying, don't bother with Christmas. Don't bother buying Christmas presents. You're only going to spread the COVID. So actually, no one's going to do the Grinch who stole Christmas because governments are now stealing Christmas in the interests of maintaining the COVID regime. Mark signing for Rush, 1-800-282-2882. You know, if you don't like it when Rush is away, there's a way to get around that, and that is by becoming a subscriber to the Limbaugh Letter because it always gives you something to read. Uh, when there is some guest host on the radio, it's the perfect in-print companion or in-digital companion to the uh, award-winning radio show. And uh, the Limbo Letter, if you subscribe to it today, you'll get a year's subscription. But the year's subscription will give you 13 total issues. So you get an extra month for free. Uh, and if you go to RushLimbaugh.com, you'll see the button there for the Limbo Letter. That's also the place you can go, by the way, to uh, send a message to Rush. If you just look above the banner that says the Rush Limbaugh Show on the horizontal menu bar at the very top of the page, you'll see a tab saying Share Your Stories. And if you click on that, you can send a message to Rush, and you can also upload an amusing cartoon or a GIF or whatever it is. But the December issue of the uh, Limbaugh Letter, it's a great Christmas issue, so it shows Rush in Dickensian garb with an old oil lamp, fabulous scarf, great uh, full-length coat, uh, and a uh, and a Christmas tree behind him, and it is full of great reading material. Uh, the Limbaugh Letter uh, makes a good Christmas present. Don't pay any attention to Angela Merkel. She says... 
cut it out on the Christmas gifts. Let's just cancel Christmas. She was raised in East Germany, and the commies uh, cancel Christmas anyway. So just because she's got that communism beating still in the core, uh, there's no reason for the rest of us to get it. Give uh, a subscription. If you can't go and do little gift shopping hither and yon, uh, go to RushLimbaugh.com and give a pal the uh, Rush uh, Limbaugh Limbaugh letter uh, in print, digital, or both. And if you order today, you can get, for the price of your 12-month subscription, 13 issues. You will not want to miss that. Uh, let us go to Paul in Denver, Colorado. Paul, you're first up on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here, and uh, prayers for Rush, of course, and uh, you're doing a great job as the guest host. Um, My question is, as I reflect as a layman upon the various court rulings uh, with this uh, contested election and and the real serious legal questions that seem to be asked. And the courts are doing uh, verbal jujitsu, it seems, to avoid ruling on any of this. They don't even want to look at the evidence. But at the same time, uh, they rushed to pronounce decisions on same-sex marriage, or if you want to go back to Roe v. Wade abortion. And so these, these cultural issues that really are the province of, you know, how we order our lives, the judiciary seems very happy to rush in and embrace and, and, and pronounce on those things. But on a truly a legal issue that it seems very much suited to the judiciary, they are they are missing in action. And I'm just I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts about why that is. Well, that, I think that's a, a brilliant uh, question. I mean, I, I would say, though, they rule the way they do for the same reason. And I think that uh, that's because whatever they say, culture is uh, upstream of politics. And I think to a certain extent, it's upstream of the judiciary too. So, for example, uh, when it comes to same-sex marriage, if they had ruled against same-sex marriage, uh, they would have gotten hell. There would have been calls for court packing back then. There would have been calls for removing justices. There would have been calls for mandatory retirement after 10-year terms. Or whatever you forget, it's only at the time they did uh, mandate same-sex marriage coast to coast. It was only thirty years after the chief justice uh, had uh, had supported the, I think it was the Texas laws against sodomy, uh, on the grounds that throughout uh, common law jurisprudence, uh, this had been regarded as a crime against nature. That was what the the chief justice of the United States said in whatever that was, 1989. Now, if you, uh, now, as I said, 30 years later, if a chief, a chief, it's not just that you can't be chief justice with those views, it's that you can't give a speech on an American college campus. You couldn't be interviewed on PBS or NPR. You couldn't write an op-ed in an American newspaper saying that. So we think of these judges as kind of great as, as, uh, super arbiters of human life, but in the end, they're just uh, five blokes uh, a- as susceptible to the pressures from the uh, prevailing culture as anybody else. And it's not by culture, I don't mean what the majority of people say. The majority of people might be opposed 
to might think uh, transgender participation in girls' school sports is ridiculous because it kills girls' school sports because it means your 14-year-old daughter is uh, competing in track against some six-foot-two burly fellow uh, with uh, faint five o'clock shadow and, uh, and pert breasts. Uh, but the fact is, so it's not about a mass opinion. It's about the prevailing winds of the culture. And that's why people like Anthony Kennedy just fold uh, uh, like in nothing flat on something, on something like same-sex marriage. You ba- ba- barely make an attempt to argue it seriously. So, and that's exactly the same thing that is going on. And that, so that's exactly an example of exactly the same phenomenon. And I take your point. I mean, it's astonishing. Like marriage, for example, which predates the United States by thousands of years and has been the same in every culture uh, throughout throughout all human history. Uh, But judges think nothing of redefining that, whereas they're scared to actually address uh, quite obvious naked electoral fraud in Georgia Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. And the reason is because they're simply responding to uh, to the cultural pressures. And I'll say this too, Paul. You know, this is what, when I said a judge's republic is a contradiction in terms, and I'll expand on that. The more you have that is litigated uh, until you have, like, uh, the United States, you have the most litigious society in human history. Everything, you can get into a court with anything. You can take anything to court and you can plead it in court and it doesn't matter what it is. You can you can uh, spill your cup of coffee from McDonald's, you've got a court case and it'll be a multi-million dollar court case. And one of the problems with that then is you transfer the the, the regulation of society from a self-regulated society, which is what a republic ought to be. It's people, the idea of a republic is that it's not the divine right of kings, it's the people governing themselves. And when you transfer more and more of that into the courtrooms, and so it eventually becomes, instead of the people regulating themselves and their society, it becomes judges regulating every aspect of the people's behavior, then it doesn't then then that that is even more then that is even more prey to sort of human frailty if there were millions and millions of amy Cone, coney barretts it wouldn't matter but the, the fact that there's she's just one of five and she's worried that people are going to be uh, menacing her kids as they leave their schools every afternoon I mean, this is this this is uh, this is why the whole dependence on judges to pull your chestnuts out of the fire is all wrong. In the end, it's too late. It's it's likely too late now. I mean, I don't claim to know as much as Steve Miller does about these slates of electors going up to Congress. But in the end, many most people are more cowardly than you think. And just as on same sex marriage, as on electorate fraud, these judges are feeling the heat, Paul. You think, Mark, that the real place to, because of those reasons you've just articulated to address this, would be would have been in the state legislatures, where the people really have more. You know, these seventy-five odd million people that voted for President Trump, we would have had 
a greater voice. And, and you know, I've, I've been concerned about this emphasis on the judiciary this whole time because right. it, it seems to me that, it, that the action was really in the state legislatures and the governors. And I, I don't know if that ship has sailed. I fear that maybe it has, but, but who knows? What do you think about that? But but again, you depend, you know, all these things. Uh, and this is this is why uh, you can write everything down, checks and balances and all the rest of it. But in the end, the guy who has to live up to those checks and balances, like in the state legislature, I don't know what it, uh, I don't know what it is in Colorado, but in my state, uh, a state representative, I think he gets one hundred and eighty dollars for uh, going and uh, serving down in Concord. It's not a lot of, it's not a lot of money, and if they know where you live, it can lead to some awfully difficult problems. So again, we're depending on, you know. What what the left is good at is intimidation, and that's what you see. They actually physically, on election night, they physically chased out the so-called Republican poll watchers. They chased them out of the room, and that's that sums up what's happened here, that in the end, they don't even care whether you've got your telephone camera recording them and you're going to post it on the Internet because they're willing to do it. They're willing to do it in public. They're willing to order you from the room and make you leave the room. And at some point, you know, I'm not in favor of doing the Antifa thing and burning down uh, burning down the convenience store and looting maces. Uh, I've got no desire to loot maces. But I do think we're coming to a point where civil disobedience actually is this state command should command no respect. A state that cannot hold a fair election has negated your citizenship and you owe it no allegiance. And in that sense, mm-hmm. uh, that sense, we, I hate to say this because uh, it's far easier to unravel a peaceful society than put it back together again. But at a certain point, uh, civil disobedience is becomes uh, entirely respectable in in the face of these provocations. But you you are absolutely right, Paul. That that uh, you know the Supreme Court, thousands of years of marriage, uh, uh, thousand thousands of years. Oh yes, we think that's something. We're we're f- we're five judges, and we're happy to rewrite marriage laws that have prevailed across. Th- the uh, entirety of human history. That's within our jurisdiction. Actually, no. There's nothing that says that's within this, the uh, jurisdiction of the United States Supreme Court. Uh, but, but this state-to-state relations, which is the basis on which Texas brought this case, is explicitly within the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court, and yet they shy away from it because they're scared. In the end, they cave into the culture just like just like any cheap jack third rate telly celebrity does. They're they're no different. Just because they've got some black robe on, uh, they're no different. That was a great that was a great question, Paul, and I thank you for that. And uh, I wish you uh, I wish you all the best this uh, somewhat grim Advent season as we approach Christmas. Thanks for your call. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Mark Stein in for Rush. Uh, as I mentioned just just a, a couple of minutes ago, a, a guy actually, this guy Joseph Epstein, he wrote a piece just saying Dr. Jill Biden is ridiculous because uh, she's got a doctorate, so-called, in education, which shouldn't even be a thing. Uh, 
But but it's now going to be it's now going to be President-elect and Dr. Jill Biden. President-elect and Dr. Jill Biden. He said she shouldn't be doing... He shouldn't, President-elect and Dr. Biden. She shouldn't be doing that. And they cancelled him. This college he was at, uh, Joseph Epstein, uh, for 10 years at some visiting lecture or something, they just removed all trace of him from the web because he... he Bet the less majesty. Uh, Melania Trump had to endure, never mind uh, whether or not she should call herself doctor. They called her a prostitute. They called her a prostitute, Melania Trump. She had to actually go and sue. She won, I think, three million bucks uh, from the Daily Mail uh, for for uh, calling her a prostitute. And uh, and uh, yet she's just meant to suck it up. She's just meant to suck it up. But you disrespect, quote unquote, Dr. Jill Biden and you're disappeared permanently. Like this guy's never going to be writing an op-ed again. You know, this is this is the other thing to watch for uh, because they're not waiting till January the 20th. They're doing it now. The clamp down by big tech. You can't say this. Uh, you can't say that. Uh, a family that got kicked off a United flight because the two-year-old uh, burst into tears when the mask was put. You have to wear a mask, and the and the two-year-old burst into tears, and the father was holding the mask over the child, and they kicked the family off the plane. And as usual, there was all the cell phone footage. It's not just the the insanity of the incident, but the fact that Twitter and Facebook suppressed the video. So you're being kicked off the plane because your two-year-old is terrified of being forced into a mask. And more than that, you can't tell the world. There's a Soviet-style clampdown on that. This is what the world is going to be like uh, after January the 20th. Mark Stein for Rush. We have lots more to come. Mark Stein in for Rush. The Electoral College is a meeting as we speak. At noon, a whole Mike state's already voted, New Hampshire. Noon, a big bunch of them, Arizona, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Maryland, Montana, on and on uh, will be, their electors will be meeting. Uh, the president's plan is for Republican electors to meet uh, and to file alternative votes with Congress for when Congress meets on uh, January the 6th. So this thing is not over. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been juicy. The podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time... 
with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, America's Anchorman is away, and this is your undocumented Anchorman, Mark Stein. Thrilled to be here. No supporting paperwork whatsoever. Rush is feeling a little better than he did on Friday, and he's hoping to be back tomorrow, so we shall keep our fingers crossed. Because uh, I want to hear him break down all this breaking news. As I said just before the top of the hour, uh, the Republicans, uh, the Republican electors uh, are, are meeting, independent of these other electors who've been meeting all day today. This is Electoral College Day. And they all meet in their different states, in their state capitals at different times. Basically, they started at 10 a.m. Eastern and they'll wrap it up at 7 p.m. Eastern in Hawaii. Uh, But as hasn't really happened on a widespread scale since 1876 or a consequential scale, uh, the Republican nominees for presidential elector are also meeting in some of these contested states, such as Georgia, for example, and they will be casting their votes for president and vice president. And as far as I understand it, both sets of these votes will be sent to Congress and uh, Congress will get them and react to them on January 6th. So we'll we'll see what uh, what happens. But before I before I move on, I want to I want to comment on Time magazine. Yes, I know no one pays any attention to Time magazine anymore. Uh, it used to be the standard dentist waiting room magazine, and now you don't even have a dentist waiting room magazine. I noticed uh, the last time I went to the dentist uh, during the COVID thing, because of the COVID, they don't have the magazines in the dentist waiting room in case Time magazine has got the COVID all over it and you pick it up. So. 
You've allowed this one person in the waiting room at any one time, that's it, and you don't get to read any infected copies of Time magazine. But Time magazine, no one cares about it, except at the end of each year when everyone still makes a big fuss about, ooh, Time, who's going to be Time's person of the year, as they say, person of the year, non-binary person of the year. Uh, who's going to be Time's person? It's the only thing left that anyone cares about with Time magazine. And even that is boring as hell, because this year they went and picked Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And they've got and that that really sums up the world we live in. What did Joe Biden do in uh, 2020? He spent it in his basement and that was still enough to get him made Time's man of the year, which is incredible. Now, you can say what you like about Time magazine, but there was a generally speaking for the turbulent years of the 20th century, uh, Time Magazine's Man of the Year actually was, uh, if you just named them, you'd get a sense of the great currents of history uh, coursing through our lives. Uh, Gandhi, uh, Hitler, uh, Stalin, Churchill. No one would seriously dispute the impact on history of those persons. Joe Biden is a sock puppet and Kamala Harris is the slightly more sophisticated uh, sock puppet uh, that they're lining up to take over from Joe Biden, which looks like it's going to be happening sooner rather than later. Uh, One reason Hunter Biden, the Biden campaign itself announced that Hunter Biden was being investigated for by the Department of Justice for tax reasons. That in itself is an odd thing, because when when you hear that somebody's having their taxes investigated, uh, usually it means the IRS are looking looking into it. And sometimes that becomes public and it can be a bit embarrassing, uh, as it is uh, if you've... Uh, I think there was a big Republican big shot in New Hampshire... Uh, and it merged that the IRS had a lien on her house or something. It can be, it's usually, when you hear someone's being investigated for taxes, uh, it's usually by the IRS. They're after you for the money, like with Willie Nelson or whoever. It's a slightly different thing when the Department of Justice is investigating you for tax reasons, because then it's a criminal matter. And so, presumably, the reason the Biden campaign revealed that is because there is worse to come. In other words, that there's that that in fact what is at some point going to be revealed is a more is a more dramatic criminal investigation, and that's why the Biden campaign made it look like Hunter Biden had just been doing a little underreporting on his taxes, claiming a few too many deductions, that kind of thing. So that came out. Uh, so it, and and the reason they did and, and the, what that tells me is that uh, they're not going to try and stick it out too long with Joe Biden. Uh, at some point, uh, sooner than expected, he's going to be resigning and making way for Kamala to become the president. And so I'm looking at this thing. You know, how can this possibly be Times Man of the Year? There is no question who is the Man of the Year. It is Chairman Xi. Because it is Chairman Xi's world and it is Chairman Xi's year. You look at it. You look at it from Chairman Xi's point of view. Chairman Xi has just managed to get rid of the one guy in America who was willing to stand up to him. 
in a way that the great Washington Uniparty, the geniuses uh, at the Chamber of Commerce right, who told us that if we just have uh, free trade with China, uh, then China will get a taste for capitalism, and a taste for capitalism will lead them toward a taste for liberty. So uh, if we trade with China, China will uh, develop our ideas on freedom and liberty and all the rest of it. Instead, uh, that hasn't happened, and instead we're developing Chinese ideas. As you can see on Big Tech, on Twitter, on Facebook, all the rest, every day, we are developing Chinese ideas on freedom of speech. We are accepting the idea of permitted speech. That's what it is, this disinformation stuff. The idea in China is that there is speech you are permitted. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's totalitarian and clamped down. You might be able to have differences of opinion on uh, who sings the best version of Walking in a Winter Wonderland. They might... They might permit you to do that, but, but they uh, are clear on the lines of permitted speech and not permitted speech. And increasingly, Zuckerberg and Dorsey and these evil men who run the big woke cartel of social media uh, operate in Chinese terms a land of permitted speech and not permitted speech. So instead of China becoming more like us, we're becoming more like China. That's one for Chairman Xi. Two for Chairman Xi. The only guy willing to push back against that. Uh, the Democrat Party wasn't. The Republican Party wasn't. The only guy who was was Donald Trump. And as we approach the end of 2020, the Chinese think they've taken out that guy and he's gone and... Uh, and they don't have to worry about that anymore. Third, they've had huge success penetrating every aspect of Western life. And I don't mean by penetrating just fang-fang, sinking her fang-fangs into Eric Swalwell, because that is a thankless task, and I don't care how well you get paid for being a Chinese spy. There is no money on earth that would persuade me uh, to do that. But uh, but that is actually extraordinary. We, we Eric Swalwell is a joke to most Republicans, and so we think this story is a joke. But the fact is that she picked him out when he was just some obscure San Francisco councilman, and he wound up as a, a presidential candidate. And whatever you think of that, that's kind of weird. And he got to being a presidential candidate very quickly. And one reason he did that is because uh, she was his bundler. Uh, a bundler is one of these people who collects a whole big bunch of donations for a polit political campaigner and uh, ties them up all neatly with a big ribbon and hands him all the money as a bundler. Now, again, it's interesting the way all the checks and balances are a total joke. As I mentioned on this show, in connection with Dominion voting machines, uh, it's illegal for a Canadian to give 100 bucks to a presidential candidate uh, but it's not illegal for a Canadian company to run the voting systems in 33 states. Likewise, it's illegal for a Chinese national to give 100 bucks to a presidential candidate. But it's not illegal for a, a, a Chinese spy, a Chinese national, uh, to become the bundler for uh, American political candidates. 
Uh, and and so actually her bundling may well be the reason that he was able to rise so fast and become a presidential candidate. So again, Chairman Xi's world, we just we just live in it. And finally, uh, Chairman Xi pulls off the ultimate. He not only gets rid of the one guy who was prepared to stand up to him, he replaces him with a Chinese bagman. That's what Joe Biden is. Joe Biden, you think of everything we now know from Hunter Biden's laptop, about 10% for the big guy and everything. Think of it this way. If you follow the Hunter Biden story, and most Americans don't, uh, you know certain things about the Biden crime syndicate. That's what they are. They're all in it together, as in that email from Hunter Biden that's just been disclosed in which he says, uh, oh, by the way, I'd like keys to this office of his uh, of his Chinese front company. I'd like keys also for Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Jim Biden. They're all in it together. They're all in it together. And, uh, and, and so whatever we, even if you're as up on this story as, uh, as anybody is, whatever you know, Whatever you've read from Hunter Biden's laptop, Chairman Xi knows more. He's got more on Joe Biden than anybody has. And uh, he's going he's gonna to leverage that. Chairman Xi, oh, and just to cap it all, yes, and then Chairman Xi managed to, uh, to uh, unfortunately, entirely by accident, just by uh, uh, closing Wuhan airport to any domestic flights to the rest of China, but keeping it open to the rest of the world. So you can't fly from Wuhan to Shanghai or Beijing, but you can fly from Wuhan to Rome and Paris and London and New York. He managed to infect the entire planet and take down the Western economy to the point where the so-called free world now accepts that the state has the right to tell you when to leave the house, how many people you can have in your house, uh, whether you can be physically in the company of persons not from your household. Uh, Chairman Xi has had the most fantastic year on every front. He's the man of the year. And this ludicrous thing of uh, a, a person who won't even matter once they've told him to resign in uh, a few months' time, this Joe Biden guy. The idea that Joe Biden is man of the year is preposterous. Mark signing for us, 1-800-282-2882. We'll take your calls straight ahead. Mark signing for us. Uh, let's go to the phones. And to Ken in uh, Austin, Texas. Ken, it's great to have you with us on the show today. Mark, it is an absolute honor to speak with you, sir. Oh, come on. Don't do you sound like Obama bowing before the king of Saudi Arabia. Let's have none of that. This is a uh, Democrat, Democrat Republic, Democratic Republic. Uh, cat can look at a king and all the rest of it. Uh, what's what's on your mind, Ken? Uh, I think what, it's, what it boils down to, Mark, is that we're going to have to face the fact that the United States of America made a stupid decision electing this man to office. Joe Biden is so pathetically, obviously, in the early stages of dementia. There's also videos, videos out showing that he's a blatant, pathetic liar. And this country rejected a man who's fully constituted, fully capable, articulate, strong, and had nothing but good for this for this country. I, I, that's what it boils down to, Mark. I'm sorry to say that. 
Well, you know, what's interesting, though, is uh, the, the media, uh, what are we talking about now, a year and a half ago, so basically when Biden launched his campaign, they were doing these stories on how, oh, uh, we all love Joe, but maybe he's lost a step. He's not the Joe Biden of 2012 or 1972 or whenever it was. And then when they decided... They sort of all reached a consensus that the other guys were too left wing or they were going nowhere and that they were just going to COVID gave them an opportunity uh, to put a guy in office who wasn't actually up to campaigning, never mind governing. And they just decided to go for it. Now, suddenly, there are all these stories about cognitive decline back in the news, Ken. Did you see that thing they're doing now about Diane Feinstein? Did you see that the uh, uh, it was no, over the weekend? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. It, 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 well, it was very interesting. There, there all there's all these stories about how Diane Feinstein, who I guess is uh, eighty five, eighty seven, or something, is in cognitive decline, and they all want to get rid of her now. And oh, basic, really? yeah, basically, the Democrats want to get rid of her, and basically, it's because uh, a she hugged Lindsey Graham, b she wasn't beastly enough to Amy Coney Barrett. And C, uh, she said she wasn't in favour of court packing. So basically, if you're not left-wing enough, that's now a sign of cognitive decline. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you something, uh, Mark, to be honest with you. I would like to see the FBI get a hold of those. uh, You mentioned the Dominion voting machines in your monologue. And Mm. I I would love to see the FBI get a hold of those voting machines, get into the those machines, get into the parameters of those, those machines to see if, in fact, there were algorithms set in those machines to take away votes from Donald Trump. That is a possibility. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, I, I think, honestly, once, you, once you've got widespread machine voting and, and then once you have widespread foreign machine voting... Uh, such as Canadian machines. And then once you have widespread foreign machine voting uh, where they're susceptible to algorithms from software that comes from who knows where, yeah. from, uh, then then you're not really dealing in anything that the founding fathers would recognize as an election. Uh, but you do, you know, that's that's the point, Ken. This is This is one of those brilliantly set up situations. The COVID enabled an an election fought on terms that are not like anything else in uh, American history at all. Right. And then and then so that meant that gave them a pretext for having the most fraud prevalent kind of voting, which is mail in voting, which worked hugely to the Democrats advantage. And then it enabled them to put in again, it's not even a Democrat thing. Because you you look on Biden as a sock puppet, who's ultimately waggling the sock puppet? Okay. And you look at and you look at all this stuff from Hunter Biden's laptop. You look at these emails. You look at Hunter flying to on Air Force Two to Beijing. the the great The great thing here now is you know if everyone thinks oh Kamala is going is is go is being set up to take over as if she's something in her own right. No, she's just some sock puppet too. This this is this is the problem here. But the cognitive decline thing I find interesting, Ken, because the fact that they brought it up with Diane Feinstein 
uh, so all of a sudden means they're trying to sort of inject it as part of the political discussion. Oh, do we really need all these really elderly people? And gosh, we all love them and they were awfully nice 10, 20, 30, 70 years ago, but maybe they're a little bit past it now. They're, they're, they're trying to set up. The reason they're doing it with Diane Feinstein now, poor old gal, is that they're trying to put <laughs> in, inject it into the political conversation so it can be used against Joe Biden when they want him to step aside for Kamala uh, whenever that comes. And the fact that they're doing it to DiFi right now, Ken, I think means that... Uh, <laughs> Joe Biden. I'm not saying he's... Who was it? Uh, it was William uh, Henry Harrison, I think, was the guy yeah. who was... Uh, uh, I'm not saying it's going to be quite that short a presidency, but it's going to be... It's not going to be much longer than that. It's well, not going to be longer. I a comment on my Facebook page. I said, would you allow a man who's in dementia to drive a bus? Would you allow a man to who has dementia to fly a jet with two or 300 mm. passengers on board? Why would you elect a man with dementia... To the president of the United States, it's crazy. Yeah, the 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 difference is that the guy driving the bus, Ken, he's actually there all on his own. The president, this this guy is basically just a puppet being uh, waggled around. And the, the the thing is to figure out who it is who's actually doing the waggling around. Thank you for your call. That was a uh, great point. Uh, good uh, good calls today. Uh, interesting questions with interesting perspectives. One eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two is the number to call. Mark Stein in uh, for Rush. Rush hopes to be back tomorrow, and we do too. Uh, We would all much rather Rush was in this chair. Back in a moment. Right, yes, Mr. Snurdley. Yep. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Mr. Snurdley wants to know if if there are required COVID tests to come on the Mark Stein cruise and required vaccines i don't know about i'm really hoping i i initially hope uh, the mark sign cruise sails in october and we're going to a lot of great places we've got a lot of great people on the cruise we got john o'sullivan actually rush uh, i might play this clip uh in the uh in the next hour sometime because uh, john o'sullivan rush was talking about john o'sullivan's first law uh, a couple of days ago, uh, John O'Sullivan was one of Mrs. Thatcher's uh, uh, aides and came up with the uh, theorem that any uh, organization or institution that is not explicitly right wing becomes left wing over time. And you can certainly see that, as Rush was saying in today's Republican Party. He's going to be on the cruise, and Conrad Black, who was uh, a guest on this show with Rush a couple of weeks back. And Michelle Backman, the great Michelle Backman, she does comedy sketches with me on the Mark Stein Cruise. Um, you can go to MarkSteinCruise.com and uh, see that. Oh, Mr. 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 Uh, <laughs> Mr. Snurdley wants to know whether I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing because he's already thinking of jumping overboard. Uh, I do, actually. I sing my song for Joe Biden. I have a little Joe Biden song I sing. And uh, you'll enjoy it live. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it because I'm still hoping that Joe Biden is not going to be uh, president-elect for much longer. Take that however you want. Um, but uh, there might be a bit of that. And uh, and uh, you can find out more by going to MarkSteinCruise.com. Mr. Snurdley was saying to me, by the way, he mentioned Acorn TV. I don't know whether you've seen this. I think it's an app you can get or whatever. 
you can subscribe to it. And it's basically like a Netflix uh, for British Commonwealth countries. And, and I wound up, I think I'm not quite sure how I wound up getting it, but it's got TV from uh, the UK, Australia, uh, New Zealand and so forth. Uh, it's got some rather gritty Irish dramas that I find kind of uh, quite, I'm quite partial to. But the one thing I liked about it was the all the legal dramas. When, when I ha- was very busy with American court cases and I came home every evening hating, absolutely loathing uh, the, the judges I had the misfortune to be up against and um, and and this sleazy, incompetent lawyers and all the rest of it. And I quite like watching these Australian legal dramas in particular. And I found it very reassuring when you've been in an American uh, court case. I was deposed a few, uh, last year I think it was, by a lawyer in jeans. And I remarked to him that I'd never been deposed by a lawyer wearing jeans before. And I found myself missing all the wigs and the gowns and all the rest of it. And so I just started watching all these uh, Australian legal dramas. But Mr. Snurdly, have you seen the one that's out there on Acorn TV called Rake? It's, it's, about, a, it's, a, it's about a rather dissolute Australian barrister. And I learned things from that. It actually paid off for me in a, a recent legal case. Yeah, you can give you the thing about watching legal dramas is you can pick up good legal advice. And in this case, in this Australian one, Rake, he actually he at one point uh, a very uh, eminent uh, man about Sydney, uh, a a video cassette or DVD or whatever it is emerges of uh, him and his wife <laughs> engaging in bestiality, and of course. The Crown, the prosecutor, I guess the DA or whatever you'd say here, the U.S. attorney, um, the Crown is going to show this bestiality DVD to the jury in in the trial. And uh, his lawyers are horrified by this because they figure that once the jury has uh, seen this, they'll, they'll vote to convict uh, this guy is he Sam. It's uh, Sam Neal who's in um, Jurassic Park, and uh, the, uh, you 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 know him. He's uh, he's a great New Zealand actor. He's, he was in Jurassic Park, um, and so they uh, the, the guy the, the 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 barrister says at one point, you know, he's watching this tape of the bestiality, and he goes, you know. Uh, after the fifth or sixth time, it's not quite so shocking anymore. Maybe the trick is to just play it over and over and over and over again until the jury, you know, is so bored by it, it's no longer disgusted by it. And so you cut to the court case and they're at the courtroom, they're all there in wigs. And and uh, the lawyer is going, the barrister is going, now, uh, if we go to frame 380... You can see that the dog still seems to be enjoying himself. His tail is still wagging. (laughs) And they're absolutely right. The jury is bored by it and no longer shocked by it. And that's actually a great legal insight that I use to quite effect, to to, to very good effect over a supposedly uh, damaging email in a a, a court case I had the misfortune to be involved in. So my view is, you you know, you can always learn quite a lot from those kind of shows. And actually, it's one of the the things that is a great lesson in life. Nothing is 
uh, shocking for that long. So in other words, you can't expect people to be mad about something if you've been talking about it over and over and over and over, because there's a law that kicks in. The more you talk about it, uh, how shocking it is, the less shocking it becomes. So if you're going to act on the shock value of something, it, it, you've you got to act quickly because it's only going to be shocking for a bit. The shock fades, and then you're just talking about it. And we know that. Things that ought to be shocking, like the monkeying and the interference in an American election by the FBI and other powerful state agencies in 2016, 2017, is no longer shocking because we've been talking about it for four years. So it's no longer shocking. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's actually one of the big problems with the situation where, uh, we're in here. Now, I wanted, before I forget, I want to play something that Rush said the other day because it made a lot of noise, correctly made a lot of noise, because it's a very big point. Uh, and this is Rush responding to Mr. Snurdly on the subject of secession. So Snurdly says, do you ever think we're going to win? And I said... I actually think, and I've referenced this, I've alluded to this a couple times, because I've seen others allude to this. And I've seen quite a few people allude to this over the course of the recent months, maybe six months. I said, I think we could be trending towards secession. Now, that's not the answer Mr. Snurdly thought he was going to get. I said, I see more and more people asking, what in the world do we have in common with people who disagree with us? Where's the overlap? And you know that I've referenced this. How many times have I asked you, what is the overlap? What is it that people on the left, people on the right, is there an overlap? Is there anything we have in common? And it doesn't look like there is. When you talk about how can make America great again be controversial? The fact that make America great again is controversial and riles people up should tell you all you need to know about how much we have in common. And then I mentioned that I have seen, I don't know how many people, uh, responsible people. I haven't named any names here, but, but they're certainly not hiding behind their comments. I've seen it written on Twitter. I've seen it written on various blogs, hot air, power line. Uh, how distant and separated, how much more separated our culture is becoming politically. And I've seen people speculate that there cannot be a peaceful coexistence of two completely different theories of life, theories of government, theories of how we manage our affairs, that we can't be in this dire a conflict without something giving somewhere along the way. And then I reiterated that I know that there's a sizable and growing sentiment for people who believe that we're headed, whether we want to get there or not, toward recession. Now, I didn't advocate for it. I never would advocate for secession. I'm simply repeating what I have heard. Now, I was absolutely fascinated when Rush said that a couple of uh, days ago, toward the end of last week. And I've got a comment on it. Uh, Rush is interesting because the last couple of days he's been talking really big picture. He's been looking at doing the 30,000 foot view of where this is all going. And I want to pick up on what he said in just a moment. 
Mark Stein in for Rush. I just want to go back to that clip I played of Rush talking about secession and the line he said, what in the world do we have in common? Which is what always leads people to uh, secede. Uh, Thomas Jefferson's words uh, uh, that should have been put in the Declaration of Independence. I think they were were in there right up until the final draft, so the penultimate draft, where he where he regretted the break with Mother England, and he said we might have been a great and free people together. And he felt that what they had in common was no longer enough to bind them. And this is what's so unusual about the American situation. Because normally when people break, uh, it's it's for much more basic reasons than than that. You know, the, the, the organizing principle of nation states in Europe is that the Swedes are in Sweden uh, because they're Swedes and the Danes are in Denmark because they're Danes. And the one great multi-ethnic empire, the Habsburg Empire, was broken up at the end of the First World War uh, in part at the behest of Woodrow Wilson, who believed in self-determination, where he thought coherent groups should have their own country, which is how the Habsburg Empire uh, wound up uh, uh, being wrapped up and uh, all these states such as Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia emerging out of that. And then they broke up because in the end there wasn't enough to bind Serbs and uh, Bosniak Muslims together and again even even uh, within much smaller within the british isles uh, for example um irish catholics and irish protestants have a, a different view on the basis of religion and in even in canada uh quebecers uh, a large number of francophone quebecers want their own country not because they want to do things differently from canada uh, they want to leave Canada to set up a country that would be just like Canada in terms of big government and all the rest of it. It's just that because they speak a different language, they don't feel they're the same people as English Canadians. And what's fascinating about the American situation is it's purely political. It's the triumph of politics. What Rush is talking about is the triumph of politics, that we do not have anything in common. Because it's not like Swedes and uh, Norwegians. It's uh, not like uh, Bosniaks and Serbs. It's not like uh, Anglophone Canadians and Quebec Francophones. It's purely, you have one, you have one unified polity that in, in now has made politics so uh, all-consuming uh, that it's dividing people on the on the ba- on purely ideological grounds. I remember years ago, a, a friend of mine. We were. Uh, it was just before uh, a UK election. I think it, this would be, you know, one of those elections where the Conservatives were in danger of losing to Labour, and so there were all these things you always get where the celebrities, like I think Michael Caine and other types, of, were saying they'd have to leave the country if the Labour Party got in, because of tax rates. And my American friend was laughing at this. He was saying it was incredible to imagine conditions. He was, you know, he was a Republican conservative, but he was laughing and he was saying it was incredible to imagine conditions in which he would have to consider leaving the country if the opposing party were elected. 
And now we're in that. And we're in that over things like identity politics. We're in that over uh, all this, uh, uh, you know, basically over the politicization of everything, which is, which is, again, an incredible situation, not like anywhere else on the planet. And then again, you have it compounded by the fact that geographically, the majority of the country, and, you know, there are people who say, oh, I'm not interested, in, don't start me on this, it should just be the popular vote, straight up, straight down, in which case a bunch of uh, blue cities... Uh, would outvote the red hinterlands and it would be Democrat politicians in perpetuity. But life doesn't work like that. So if you simply just break it down to county level and you look at the map, it's whatever it is. 80% of the country is red and 20% is blue. And you cannot, and again, you then get to the federal aspect that this might survive if there was a proper respect for federalism. But there isn't really. Increasingly, uh, because of mass media and other things, things are being done at a centralized level. Not quite as centralized as France or uh, other other states that have no regard for decentralization. But things are becoming ever more centralized. And that puts pressure. There's, there's no uh, inclination on the part of the 20% that's blue to let the 80% that's red live their own lives. And that's why I think Rush is, whatever Rush thinks about it, he said he would never advocate for secession. I don't know how you'd do it. Uh, and I'm not, it would, be, it would always be messier than you think. Um, but there is simply a lot of people do not recognize the legitimacy of the present regime. And it's, and again, the important point to bear in mind here, What's what's interesting about it, what's different about it, is that the Democrats have finally had their way. They have so politicized every single aspect of life. You can't read the gardening column in a newspaper without a sneer against Trump and, and sometimes even Trump voters. I mean, they hated Bush, uh, but they gave a pass to his voters. Now it's not just the Republican president they despise. They despise those who vote for him. And you get it shoved down your throat in the cooking shows, in the gardening shows, on the sports networks. The Democrats have triumphed. They've politicized every aspect of life. And one consequence in that is to go back to what Rush said in that clip. We no longer have sufficient in common... Uh, to hold us together. Mark Stein for Rush. We have lots more to come. Mark Stein in for Rush in this season of Advent. We're uh, a little under two weeks away from Christmas Day. Rush is feeling a little better than he did on Friday. And we are very hopeful that the great man is uh, going to be back with us tomorrow. In the meantime, this is Mark Stein on Rush. Lots more still to come. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. 
This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, great to be with you. America's Anchorman is away. And this is your undocumented anchorman, Mark Stein. As you know, I'm a foreign exchange student at the Limbaugh Institute for Advanced Conservative uh, Studies. Uh, I was uh, sent here by my government to sleep with Eric Swalwell. I'm not going to tell you how that mission is going in any uh, detail. I would like to make a general point, though, regardless of... uh, sleeping with Eric Swalwell. It's interesting, all these... There's a, uh, there appears to be a uh, level of penetration of the Democrat Party in the San Francisco area by China. As you know, uh, Dianne Feinstein was driven around town. Again, it's one of these stories that doesn't go anywhere. It comes up... And it's reported for a bit. It it's like gets a mention on ABC, CBS, NBC, so on. And then somehow from uh, the head office's head office's head office, a memo comes down uh, reminding them that ABC, CBS, NBC, etc. are all part of these big global entertainment complexes that are deeply in bed with the Chinese and the story doesn't go anywhere. So 
Uh, it would usually be a big deal if you'd had a Chinese spy uh, driving you around for 20 years, as Dianne Feinstein did. Now we then find uh, that Fang Fang has been driving, so to speak, Eric Swalwell uh, and managed to drive him from being an obscure San Francisco city councilman to being a presidential candidate who sits on the House Intelligence uh, committee and there is a and this is a guy who has always repeated the Beijing line and has been anxious to and we again we have a, over the weekend this suddenly the minute the Chinese thing came up we get this story uh, purporting uh, to demonstrate that the Russians have hacked into the U.S. Treasury Department again an Eric Swalwell type thing playing up uh, the Russians downplaying the Chinese. But there do, I think there are credible grounds for thinking that there is some kind of systemic penetration of San Francisco area Democrats uh, by uh, Chinese operatives. And again, we've had these leaked Chinese Communist Party records showing that there are basically two million Chinese Communist Party members uh, who have been uh, dis dispersed throughout the world and are operating at high levels in uh, UK, Australian, US uh, companies, uh, universities, and actually in government missions, including actually in consulates. Uh, so, in other words, we have something like two million Chinese communists. And as usual, there was nothing in the American papers about this. God knows why that would be. Uh, but the, it was in uh, the Australian press. And this database, which has been leaked, shows that Chinese Communist Party members. These are, in other words, these aren't just when people say, oh, you're being racist, racist, racist about the Chinese. No, these are actually Chinese Communist Party members uh, who are actually in employment in UK, Indian, New Zealand, South African, German, Swiss, Italian, and US consulates in various parts of the world. Fang Fang managed to plant an intern in Eric Swalwell's office. Uh, so I think there is uh, there's some kind of systemic Chairman Xi penetration of the San Francisco area Democrat Party at the very minimum. Let's go to Chris on the Rush Limbaugh show. Uh, Chris, it's great to have you with us on America's number one radio show. Chris is in Alma, Michigan. Hi, Chris. I appreciate I appreciate you taking the call. I got a lot of respect for what your take is on things, and I wanted to get your take on one thing. Um, Looking forward to the next four years with the Republican Party, I, I, I'm not optimistic that they can continue the momentum that President Trump uh, has in the MAGA movement. And, and let's face it, he's been the vision and everything else, and I think they're going to be fighting him in four years if he decides to run. I wanted your opinion. I think he ought to consider forming his own party or at least threatening to do that to force him to get behind him. I don't trust him. Yeah, I don't trust him either. I mean, basically, as much as we loathe the Democrats for doing what they did to Trump in uh, 
uh, uh, when he came in in January 2017, as much of the problem was Paul Ryan and co also actively obstructing his agenda or just, you know, wanting to have a kind of tax cut party. Yeah, uh, who knows what will happen in 2024? Who knows whether any of us will be here in 2024? Who knows whether the Chinese will have done their EMP attack? So so whatever we say, it's going to be a very different scenario in 2024. And that's why if he is going to threaten to form his own party, uh, the time to do it is when he's at the peak of his powers, which is now. And, you know, I, 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 I said on this show uh, a couple of weeks back that I wasn't going to go back to that old Republican Party. You know, I'll do what is necessary. Yeah, uh, in Georgia, make sure you get out and vote and drag Leffler and Purdue across the finish line. But we all know that Leffler and Purdue are not impressive uh, characters on board with the Trump agenda. And there's a, there's a Democrat base, there's a Trump base... And then there's this squishy thing in the middle, which is the the GOP base. And I want I think what's important is that the 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 Trump ideas uh, and and the Trump priorities, the things he particularly the things he campaigned on in 2016. I want them to survive and still to be part of the conversation. And the danger is, particularly if the Republicans pick up these. Uh, win, hold these two seats in Georgia, the danger is that the Republicans will think, hey, we, it's the best of all worlds now. We've gotten rid of Trump. We can go back to the Trump, the, the Republican Party pre-Trump as it was in 2015. And I ain't going to go along with that because it wasn't enough for me. And I want, I want something more than that. And the, the, the thing that we all need to think about now, including the president, because it might well be time and it might well be time to form his own party and at least have it there as a placeholder uh, because it's very difficult to form parties in America. There's a lot of obstacles to it that are put in your way, process obstacles by the, by the states. But it would be interesting for him to just form his own party, say, and I'm just saying this is a suggestion to the president, but to form his own party that exists uh, to preserve the ideas he uh, ran successfully on on 2016 and for it just to be sitting out there as a vehicle if the Republican Party is tempted to go back to the way it was five years ago. Because I'm not interested in that. It's not enough. And all it does is ensure, you know, you basically got a party that wants to drive America off the cliff full throttle, which is the Democrat plan. Uh, And that's an honorable position if that's what you believe in, as AOC and the rest of the gang do. Let's floor it and go sailing off the cliff. And then you've got this weak, wishy-washy, Republican Party that says, OK, we're going to go off the cliff in second or third gear, uh, but you'll get a corporate tax cut along the way. And that party isn't of any great interest to me. And I don't think is any of any great interest to uh, Donald Trump either. Uh, and that's why, as you say, it might be it might be interesting for him to start just talking about forming his own party now, Chris. Amen. I think everybody that supports him, or the majority of them, feel just the way you you expressed, and that's exactly the way I feel. He's got the vision. He led them uh, along the right path. 
they're going to squander that in under a year and a half. They'll be back to their old, their old, uh, you know, policies and, and approaches, and it's just going to be a waste. Yeah, you, you, you're right there. I don't want this last four years to have been a waste. And I particularly don't want, I'll never forget that, actually, going to Trump rallies. And there were a lot of laughs. There were a lot of laughs, big laughs. He's a funny guy and people were laughing. But there were also people with tears in their eyes because for the first time in years, someone was talking about something that mattered to them. And I won't forget. I won't forget that whatever whatever happens on January sixth or January twentieth or however long of this hellish peaceful transition of power we got to go through, I won't forget that. And and people want a bigger choice. They don't want a pseudo choice in Austria. In the uh, in the post-war period, for most of the post-war period, you had a choice between a left of center party and a mildly right of left of center party. And whichever one you voted for, they governed in coalition anyway. And that's basically uh, what American politics degenerated into uh, pre-Trump. And all it means is that you have this left left wing ratchet effect. You go fast when you have someone in Obama like Obama in office. The left-wing ratchet effect advances fairly spectacularly. And all that happens then when you have the right in so-called power, they're not really in power, they're in office, but they're not in power, is that they arrest the ratchet effect. So you don't drift left uh, quite as fast as you do under the Democrats. But if you actually want to reverse it, you've got to have more than the uh, the Republican Party uh, the, the pre-Trump Republican Party. I'm not, I'm not going back to that. Thank you for your call, Chris. It's great to have you with us on the show. And, uh, and keep the faith, as it says on the front page of this month's Limbaugh letter. Keep the faith. This is the most important thing now. You, people have got to bottom line this. Uh, whatever happens, don't go back. Don't go back to that pre-Trump Republican Party. Keep the issues he ran on five years ago. Keep them in play. Keep him in play. He was the only one that time five years ago when he came down that escalator. People thought, oh, yeah, wait a minute. This guy's suddenly talking about things that impact my life. Keep that, keep that in play. The never Trumpers. Again, the, oh, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's hold that thought and I'll play you what Rush was saying on that theme just a couple of days ago. Mark signing for Rush. We got more to come. Mark Stein in for Rush in this season of Advent. Uh, is it my imagination, or are we, uh, do we are we do we usually play the Mannheim Steamroller by by this time in the Christmas season? Mike, are we starting it a little later? I it was uh, oh oh okay <laughs> okay I'll well. We're holding off on the Mannheim uh, steamroll. I'm in the mood for God rest ye merry gentlemen, because I would like to be able to rest me a little merrier than I am at the moment. Anyway, I mentioned John O'Sullivan. Uh, I've known John for years. We've worked together at many places. Where John uh, was an aide to Mrs. Thatcher in the UK, and then he edited National Review when it was somewhat more sound. Uh, than it is today. And I've worked with John at the Daily Telegraph in London and the National Post and Calendar Canada. He's a great guy, John. He'll be on the Mark Stein cruise. 
Uh, but Rush was talking about him just the other day in this context. You remember the name John O'Sullivan? John O'Sullivan is a former aide to Lady Thatcher in the UK. He was uh, editor at, uh, at National Review uh, under William F. Buckley for the longest time. I'm looking for uh, the quote that I want to attribute to him. I can do it uh, myself, but I want to find the exact quote, but it's buried here somewhere. The bottom line is this. He came up with the O'Sullivan theorem, and it is this. Any organization, any group of people that is not exclusively, explicitly conservative every day will eventually become liberal. That's the natural flow. That's the natural tendency. Conservatism, in other words, is a daily commitment. Conservatism is a daily commitment to its principles and ideals. It's a commitment every day to make as much of your life and your business and whatever conservative in values as you can. Because if that doesn't happen, you or your organization, your company, your club, whatever, will eventually become liberal. And it's true. And that's where we are. Now we have the Republican Party in significant membership, significant parts of it, not seeing the threat, or if they see it, not wishing to acknowledge it. And if they do not actively support, advance, explain, promote conservatism on a daily basis, then they will become liberal. They will they will gradually lose whatever it is about them that are conservative or that is conservative, and many of them are not that conservative anymore anyway. Yeah, and Rush is absolutely right on that. Uh, that's But that is the challenge. You have to, you're being pushed in a direction, as he says, unless you actually every morning, oh, I'm conservative, we got to stay conservative. Every institution just tra- tends to drift left. And we assume that people uh, can withstand it. So, for example, you can, we used to com- just complain about universities, that uh, it was universities where you'd get into the social engineering and the left-wing nonsense, and then it became high school and middle school. And basically now it's the social, the left-wing indoctrination starts in kindergarten. So you're expecting your kid to survive whatever it is, 12, 13 grades of that, and then it's going to be another 10 grades or however long they uh, take to complete their bachelor's in transgender and colonial studies or their, you know, their PhDs in transgender and colonial studies so that they can be addressed as doctor, like Dr. Jill Biden all their lives or whatever. And you've got, got to... She's a doctor of education, which is a joke. That's the other thing. There's a survey saying, quite correctly that being a doctor of education doesn't actually approve your ability to teach people, which is, should be no news to anybody. But it's about ensuring the complete... Uh, the com- uh, basically, it's about ensuring complete ideological compliance. That's the world we live in. Liberal world, left-wing world, the air you breathe. For, if you're a kid, you go to kindergarten, and they start telling you about climate change. The planet's going to fry uh, you got to watch the Al Gore movie. And so from the moment you first go down the hill to get on that little yellow school bus and be driven down to the grade school in the village, 
that's the point at which you start getting immersed in uh, in, in in left wing world. Right from then, you're five years old and you first venture out to go to kindergarten. Yeah, and even in red states, we all know this. The education systems in uh, in red states are deep blue education systems, and Rush is correct in that, that you, you will eventually, unless you explicitly dedicate yourself to conservative values, and this is what we need to give thought to in the years ahead. You can't lose. For a start, we've lost politics. We lost everything else. We lost the academy. We lost the movies. We lost the mainline churches, like all the gay bishops in the Episcopal Church and all that. And eventually you come down to, well, we can still drag people over the finish line every uh, Tuesday in November when we need to. Uh, No, we lost that too. And as we just uh, saw four years ago, we needed somebody beyond that to be able to, we needed somebody from the world beyond that, Trump, to be able to just smash through and be heard. Trump was able to say the things he said in part because he wasn't just some political guy. He had a he, he was known, he already had name recognition, he already had brand recognition and all that kind of nonsense. And so he had a license to say things, to raise subjects, uh, to start talking about immigration in ways that so-called more mainstream Republican candidates couldn't. And that's the force that was required four or five years ago, just to be able to get a Republican candidate out there who could even talk in meaningful ways uh, about that issues, about those issues. Rush's thing is abso- Rush's thing is absolutely right. You know, if the Republican Party j- just wants to be the drift-along party, just wants to be the drift-along party, then it means we have to work, we have to work really hard to pull it back to sanity. Yeah, great to be with you. You know, the Internal Revenue Service does not take a break for the holidays. They don't shut down between Thanksgiving and Christmas. They would like nothing better than to use Boxing Day to box you in and box you up. So if you're contending with an IRS issue, Rush has the best advice for you. You know, being in debt to the IRS can be stifling, folks. People in this situation will tell you every day is a waiting game. Every day is a nail-biter. I mean, you know you're going you're gonna to get harshly worded letters from them. You're going to probably get a big penalty from the IRS. Your intentions of getting squared away are there, but you don't have the money and you've, you've, you've heard how tough the IRS can be, and you just really don't know what to do. And it's true. The IRS is the most powerful collection agency in the world. It's only a matter of time before they find you. A lot of people think, hey, I'm small fry. I don't owe that much money. They'll not even notice me. No, it's exactly the small fry they notice. There's so many more small fry than there are wealthy people. Like Willie Sutton said, you're going to rob a bank, go to where the banks are, go to where the money is, the IRS. If you're going to raise taxes, raise taxes on the middle class. That's where the money is, IRS. You're going to audit people, audit the middle class. Look, this all happened to a guy in this audience. His name is John, and he had one serious setback after another. When the IRS caught up with him, there was no one to explain the family emergencies he was contending with. 
And they didn't care. They can't care about stuff like that. So John here was faced with a lien on his bank account. Other IRS actions made it difficult for him professionally. So instead of trying to explain all of these circumstances to the IRS, remember he's a listener here. He called Optima Tax Relief. And that, it's a free phone call, changed his life. As soon as he called them, their professionalism, their knowledge of how to deal with the IRS took over, and he immediately felt a sense of calm. Finally, somebody knew what they were doing that he had confidence in. All of that after just one phone call. He knew he was in the hands of some real pros. Optima negotiated a deal that allowed him to resolve $40,000 in tax debt on terms he could live with, terms he could afford. Truth is, he wished he had called them sooner. If you have outstanding IRS issues, no matter what they are, call America's number one most trusted tax relief firm, Optima Tax Relief. They have resolved a billion dollars of tax debt already and favorably for their clients. Here's the number, 800-973-7700. That's 800-973-7700. Optima Tax Relief. They know how to talk to the IRS. Let them do it for you. The Rush Limbaugh Show on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. The man himself uh, is feeling a little better today than he was on Friday, and he hopes to be back in the Attila the Hun chair uh, tomorrow, as uh, we do. Let us go to Jeff in Central Hall, Pennsylvania. Jeff, great to have you with us. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and best wishes to Rush. Um, I've been listening to you, and and you finally got around to the point that I was going to bring up, that there there are upwards of 74 million people who are willing to keep keep Trump's ideals alive. But I think we need some guidance, some direction, something tangible that we can do. Um, While I'm not giving up on the, the court cases, I think they've become somewhat quixotic. And, and we need to be looking, what is the next, next step? Where do we go from here? Yeah, I think that's what we're all uh, having to, to think about. And I think we will want some leadership for that. Now, as you say, there's uh, 75 million Americans who do not – well, basically the polls all show, including a percentage of Democrats. I think the last poll I saw said that uh, something like 10, 15 percent of Democrats did not think this had been a fair election. And it's 80 percent of Republicans. So, in fact, this is a, this is a, a, an astonishing thing. We have a, a, an illegitimate regime, a regime that is perceived as illegitimate by getting on for close to half the electorate. Now, how is he going to how how would Biden govern in in uh, that if you were in any normal situation, you'd recognize that it was all a bit uh, dodgy and you'd be anxious to reach across the aisle and all the rest of it. Instead, I saw that the Biden dogs, Biden's got two dogs and they have their own Instagram feed. And over the weekend, they uh, Instagrammed out a picture of the two dogs tearing apart a a Trump uh, stuffy. So in other words, uh, instead of reaching across the aisle, the two Biden dogs are savaging the previous president. There's not going to be any unity. There's not going to be. And this is the difference. Now, what we have to do is to get is to get real about it. 
which is dif- difficult because mostly uh, the the silent majority is content to stay silent, not because it doesn't like to stay any, say anything, but because uh, unlike many of the people on the other side, we have real jobs, not make-work jobs at universities where they give you free time to go out and riot and loot and rampage and all the rest of it, but where you've got to get up in the morning and go to work and you don't want to riot and loot and rampage because you're destroying the system that basically uh, supports your life. But we, we have got to have, I think, civil disobedience at the very minimum I think a cold recognition that this was not a respectable election and he was not elected in that sense because too much is known and it will all dribble out. Secondly, I think we ha- I think the president has nothing to lose by actually taking uh, taking leadership in effect, not of a uh, simply the the Republican Party as it exists, but by taking leadership of a a force. Uh, of a, a more basic force than that, uh, which is the, the the people who got him elected, which is basically uh, working class, blue collar voters in those Rust Belt states, the ones who, uh, uh, who who provided his margin of victory and ensuring that their issues aren't forgotten. The thing we mustn't do, Jeff, is just to say, oh, well, better luck next time. We've got a lot of better luck next time, Republicans. And actually, if Leffler and Purdue get elected on January 6th, if they survive and they're back in the Senate, they'll become better luck next time, Republicans. You'll say, well, it all just went a bit south for us, uh, but better luck in 2022, 2024. As long as elections are, are fought on the basis of this system... The Democrats will never go back to the way it was before. They're going to keep the COVID and the fear going. We're now hearing, oddly enough, a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to have to keep some of these COVID measures in place uh, through early 2022. By next month, it'll be late 2022, which means they'll be running the, the midterm elections under these same rules of mail-in ballots. So we got to have... Uh, We've got to have probably not the president, but somebody slightly to the side of him uh, running a campaign for electoral reform and clean elections. Uh, And we also have a far more we also have to have a far more determined commitment uh, to free speech. So, for example, if we have people who just getting bounced and cancelled and vaporized, then everybody is going to have to stand if your friend gets cancelled. If you're like this uh, guy Epstein and you and you say, I don't think Dr. Jill Biden should be calling herself Dr. Jill Biden. And that is enough to get you canceled at this college. Then I'm sorry. uh, Get you taken down from that college website. Then I'm sorry. But all those pansy professors with tenure, you've got to stand up. And you've got to, and in other words, each little setback cannot be allowed to proceed. They're going to be serious about locking down freedom of speech and imposing Chinese standards of freedom of speech. So we won't even be able to argue for our, posi- our position. In the weeks before the election, we had an extraordinary situation, Jeff, where uh, the president's press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, was shut down on Twitter. So we've got to have, at the very minimum, OK, I'll help you, Leffler and Purdue. I'll help drag you across the finish line in Georgia on January the 6th. But in return, I would like a commitment to break up these, these, uh, this woke 
big woke, big social, uh, the the big tech cartel that's already more powerful than countries. So who cares what the electoral system is? Because basically big tech determine everything. So I want a commitment from Leflin Pertu to break up uh, Facebook and YouTube and Google on antitrust grounds. That's the most important thing we could do, because otherwise we're not even going to have a battle space in which we can even talk about our issues. And that's the most vital thing. You know, for, th- for a third of a century on this show, and I can't tell you how much I'm grateful to this man who has borne this burden alone. Rush doesn't have any sugar daddy billionaires with their own weird issues. He doesn't have any phonies like uh, the Koch brothers uh, basically making common cause with Democrats when it suits them because because Trump has decided to cross them on immigration issues or all the rest of it. Rush just reports to Rush. Uh, the Excellence in Broadcasting Network, that's not funded by George Soros. That's not funded by Chairman Xi. Rush reports to Rush. For for all the years he's been doing this, the left has been saying, ah, Rush is uh, just saying this for the money. No, he doesn't need any money, and he doesn't need to say it. He says it because he believes it, and he doesn't report to anybody. And we need more institutions than that, like that. And so what that means is that uh, we, have to, we have to keep pulling these guys to the bare minimum, which is the bare minimum is we're not going to win any more elections if the 2020 election system stays in place. You might as well forget it. Elections won't matter. They won't matter at all. Uh, the only reason why they don't bother stealing them in certain states will be, be because those states are too red. So they won't be able to ha- rent enough trucks to drive the morning after ballot boxes to the count. But otherwise, they're going to start stealing everything they can steal. So we've we got to have election reform, serious election reform uh, in perpetuity, because we won't ever win any other elections under this system with the mail-in ballots. They're going to keep the COVID going until 2022, as they've said, so they can steal the midterms. And we've got to act immediately. If we hold the Senate, if we hold the Senate, we have to act immediately uh, to break up big tech so that we can even talk about these things. Jeff, you're right. It's time to get serious. It's time to play hardball. I, I've said for years on this show, I hate small ball conservatives. I, I loathe them. Uh, and that's the situation. And that's the situation we're in. The small ball conservatives who think, oh, this isn't the hill to die on, that isn't the hill to die on. And then suddenly, one morning, whatever it was, November the 7th, November the 9th, whenever the hell it was, you wake up and you realize, oh, yeah, all those hills are now held by Democrats. This is absolutely the hill to die on. This election would, if this was an election held in Sudan, it would not have been certified by the U.S. State Department. It would not have been recognized by the U.S. State Department because everything uh, that went on in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Michigan, you couldn't do in Sudan and expect the State Department to go along with it. But when it happens in Georgia, Pennsylvania and Michigan, uh, guys like Bill Barr just sneer that it's the deposed king ranting. So the important thing is 
The important thing is to ensure that never again is there an election fought under the 2020 rules. Otherwise, you can forget about elections. Thank you for your call, Jeff. You are right. And uh, it is time to start uh, moving on to, you know, how we're going to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Mark Stein for Rush. Lots more to come. Mark Stein in for Rush on America's number one radio show. You know, I didn't get to this story. Headline, former aide says Cuomo sexually harassed her for years. This is Lindsay Boylan, who's a Democrat candidate for a borough president in Manhattan. And she says she knows that she is not the only woman who has been sexually harassed by Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York City. Make the most of these stories, the whole Me Too thing, the whole difference in it, uh, uh, they cover it when there is a Republican in office. This thing is going to go away, as you know, with Joe Biden himself, the big hair sniffer, the guy who likes nothing more than uh, lowering his nose into your coiffure. Now we have uh, a former aide saying that Cuomo sexually harassed her uh, for years on end and knows she is not the only one. You're not getting any of this coverage in the media. Uh, Follow these stories because they're going to squash them uh, with... They're going to put a pillow over them and suffocate these stories rather than cover them. Mark Stein in for Rush. We're going to close it out in just a moment. Thank you so much for your company today. Thank you, as always, uh, to Mr. Snardley and the gang, the Best team in radio, no doubt, no question. They have kept this show number one for decades. And thank you most of all for all your prayers and your kind words for Rush. You can go to RushLimbaugh.com and leave a special message. It's the Share Your Stories button. It's the horizontal menu bar above the Rush Limbaugh Show banner. And if you go to, I think, the third one along, it's called Share Your Stories, and you can. I'm still I'm still thinking about this Dr. Jill Biden thing. You know, Whoopi Goldberg was so impressed by Dr. Jill Biden being a doctor. Uh, she wants uh, Dr. Jill Biden to be Surgeon General. I, I, I'd be in favor of letting Dr. Jill Biden take out Whoopi Goldberg's appendix. So uh, so, so you first, uh, Whoopi, just get on the operating table. And well, what about let's let's have Dr. Jill take out your hernia for you, Whoopi. This has been Mark Stein. Rush is feeling a little better and he hopes to be back tomorrow behind the golden EIB microphone. Thanks for listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. 
Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 